and welcome to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I am Sebastian. And uh, it took us, what, like an hour to get these microphones working again? <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. And in the end, I think, I don't know what, it just by the grace of somebody paying attention, it, uh, it started working. So we are able to record. Well, when you couldn't hear me, I just unplugged everything and plugged it back in. Yeah. Like, have you tried turning it off and on again? That was my that was my fifth solution was yeah. to I'm like I'm sorry Sebastian I've got to turn it <laughs> off and turn it back on again um, and then I checked to make sure it was plugged in and um, yeah I don't know why it just suddenly <laughs> but, uh, there we go tech eh right we're living in the digital future right <laughs> so it's been a, a bit of a week not so much on the news front there's a couple of things that we'll be touching base on but mm-hmm. uh, yeah I have been with family family all of last week and um yeah for is that a good thing or a bad thing should i say my condolences or should i should i say the uh that's that, a good news my family doesn't listen to my show you <laughs> <laughs> hear enough of my dulcet tones already um but no it was really interesting and i think what i might want to touch on with you is mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that my parents are an interesting barometer, but they they kind of are in that they're not attached to queer culture or they don't read all of the news that we have. Right. And it's interesting because I think the original Superman, uh, the actor who played in Clive something or other, um, made a very similar comment and he was critiqued for it. But we were talking about... Um, Wait, the original oh, Superman, you're not talking about the, the guy from the 80s, obviously. Yeah. He passed away some time ago. Well, one of the one of the Supermans that's still alive. The one from Smallville, I'm thinking. It's no. probably the one. He's no? quite an old guy. So oh. Common. I can't have If you insist, I will Google it and get the guy's name. <laughs> um, but anyway, the point was, uh, yeah. we were talking about how uh, a story that we discussed last week about um, Superman in DC Comics, Superman's son... Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's Clive Kent, I think the name is, uh, is coming out as bisexual and there's a, a romantic story in there. And my mum was not impressed. Uh, okay. She said things like having sexuality shoved down your throat and sort of bandwagoning. And on the one hand, I think that, and we talked about this, mm. that part of this pushback is because of the media attention. Mm-hmm. But also in the 60-odd years of Superman, it's always been straight. So it's been the same romantic story for 60-odd years. It's not 60. It's almost a century. Uh, Superman was the first published superhero comic. Um, he's basically a folk character now. Like, he's he's not... He is a DC product, and he is copyright... You know, the, the, the copyright holders are DC... But at this point in time, the concept of Superman is he's a folk character at this point in time. And, you know, you've got the, the, the standard template is that, you know, you've got Clark Kent, you've got Lois Lane. Um, for them to say, like, we will never touch that formula. You know, uh, Clark Kent has been a heterosexual for almost a century now. We're going to leave that alone. We're going to make it his son who's, who's queer. I think that right there, that shows... Good forethought, um, because even I would be like, "What are you doing?" Um, yeah. And I've seen I've seen people within the queer community complaining, saying that you know it's not brave 
to make Superman's son bisexual now. In the 90s, it would have been. Yeah. But at, at this point in time, you could make a case for it being a bandwagon thing. And the other thing is like the, the media around it. Did they fanfare it or did they just slide it in? If it was a B story, um, there's a way to make it happen so that it's not, you know, quote unquote, shoved down your throat. Because there have been like, like uh, there's been different iterations of Catwoman that are bisexual. There have been different iterations of uh, Colossus. Uh, there's because in the X-Men universe, there's all sorts of parallel universe and a, a couple of them. Colossus is bisexual or gay in one of them. Uh, 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 what, oh, what's the, the guy who won't die? Ryan Reynolds character. Deadpool. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deadpool is pansexual in every version. And the fan base loves the fact that he's bisexual. So, I mean, like having queer characters is fine. That's not that's not controversial onto itself. And it's been that way since the 90s. There's been plenty of them. You know, even your comic book store, comic book fan, you know, Simpsons comic book guy types have been fine with this since the 90s. And I think it's just a matter of doing it in a way that doesn't feel like a media event. Yeah, and I think that was part of what we were talking about. For example, um, we're big Doctor Who fans in Britain. Oh, yeah. And my family are big Doctor Who fans. Mm-hmm. But I think it's uh, Chris Chipnell is the most recent writer for it, mm-hmm. with uh, Jodie Whittaker as the as the doctor. As the doctor, yeah. And it has been badly written. And the mm-hmm. way I say that is, you know, there are you know gay characters. There's racial mm-hmm. diversity in the core cast, but they're all as flat as a pancake. There is no depth to yeah. any one of those characters. I, I, and the I, episodes I, are like. It's like they've come up with a moral quandary first and shoehorn the characters around it to make it work. And it's just too... Well, that's, that's classic science fiction right there. I mean, that's that's the nature of Star Trek right there. Like, you know, in this episode... Yeah, but we're, the, we're gonna but talk the Star about... Trek characters have depth to them. Yeah. You well, know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, for example, there was one episode where the solution to the defeating the master involved rounding up historical female mathematicians which was not very well explained why that was the only solution. Uh-huh. It was just, and it's like, is this just a history lesson on female mathematicians? Like why you, Probably. the story is losing out, the characters are losing out. And it, it was very much a, you know, I, I push back on the idea that they were checking boxes, but I do think that the story was lost in the mm. effort to be more, of the time yeah and i I compare that it's also an issue of like when they're doing you're like i see what you're doing and and the fact that you see what they're doing as being more obvious than it being something that follows from the story so like um the multiple multiple episodes of star trek across multiple series they ask the question does the state decide who lives and dies so it's a sort of libertarian question of you know should capital punishment even be a thing and you get your story, you slot your characters into it. Quite often, once you have your question and your characters, the story writes itself. It, it's pretty easy. Uh, they actually, there was even an episode of Shira, like classic 80s Shira. Uh, a lot of people don't know this, but two of the writers for the 80s Shira were survivors of the Holocaust. And there's actually a lot of like World War II ethics questions in the original Shira, which is the number one reason, by the way, why I'm disappointed with the Netflix remake, because it's like this was something about the holocaust 
framed within like a children's cartoon. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, and I, I, it's an issue of like fundamentally, you know, the the drumhead is a good story about characters interacting with each other. The fact that the drumhead, which is a specific episode of Next Generation, is also about uh, biases and political corruption is just, that's an interesting talking point. It's the mm. science fiction side of that. I, th I think there's a way to make these things happen where it's like, it's fundamentally, you know, that was just a really good uh, uh, Picard episode. And it was a good, like, whodunit episode. And it was a really good, like, like, you look at it from the perspective of the character and the story arc and the fact that it was asking questions within it. Um, I mean, even like, I keep coming back to Star Trek. You can even go to things like a lot of the horror anthologies, The Outer Limits, uh, The Twilight Zone. Well, they asked a lot of these questions too. The, the example that I compared it to with my, with my mother is like, we watched the new James Bond movie mm. and um, I'm not going to give a spoiler, but at one point, uh, James Bond drops by the house, Q's house. Mm. Q played by openly gay actor Ben Wishaw. Okay. And in this, you know, before he knocks on the door, Ben Wishaw's clearly, you know, getting dinner ready, you know, pouring mm. a glass of wine and setting the table and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then when he realizes, he goes, oh my God, I have a date. He'll be here in 20 minutes. And that was it. That was the, 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 the context clues of, this is not only a gay man, but this yeah. is not only a gay man who just straight up said he will be here in 20 minutes. No yeah. bus, no bus. But the reason why that is so important is because up until the, the you know, the 20s, the, the 2000s rather, um, you, you know, MI6, you know, British intelligence would not hire openly gay men, you mm -hmm. know, and in the 60 years of James Bond, there had never been in the 25 movies, any gay characters, any openly gay characters. Openly. Yeah, nobody um, openly gay. Yeah. Because yeah. like I think, uh, uh, Daniel Craig said that in his mind, he plays uh, James Bond as a bisexual character, even though it's not on screen. He's just like, I, I view him as being bisexual and I play him as such, which is... Well, that's good spycraft. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's, that's, you know, the, these you know, spy operatives yeah. required to be charismatic. Mm -hmm. And if you are affronted by trying to, you know, charismatically disarm a man, mm -hmm. then you're going to be limited in your spycraft. It's interesting because... Especially the Ian Fleming era of spycraft, where it was all, it was tuxedo spies. And, and the, the idea of like, you know, pulling out a watch that turns into shark repellent and then your shoes turn into a hover bike, like that is movie nonsense. The original books, it was really about you know, people hanging out with Dukes and, you know, the, the secretariat of whatever from Romania and saying, I noticed there's construction on the edge of town. Do you know what that's about? And then you just do it over cocktails. And then they're like, oh, and then they spill the beans because you're a charming gentleman in a, a, a suit. Or actually, there was a lot of a lot of women spies at the time who just like people didn't expect women to be spies. So they would yeah, just answer all their questions. Yeah. So it was, it wasn't necessarily even a honey trap. It didn't have to be but sexual. It I was think just it's like interesting because when Ben Wishaw was interviewed around this movie, mm -hmm. you know, someone asked the question, you know, should there be a, Jim, a gay James Bond? And he said, that would be awesome if there was a gay James Bond. He wasn't advocating for the casting couch. You know what I mean? He right. Like, yeah. That would be neat. If that was the case. And like, but, but 
there was so much media attention about, you know, James Bond Q thinks Bond mm. should be gay. Yeah. That missed the point. And more importantly, it missed the point of what was historically groundbreaking mm. in this movie, which mm. is, you know, in the world of the movie, an openly gay member of MI6. And in the broader context, an openly gay actor playing mm. an openly queer role in a saga of 25 movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I bring this all up to say is because Hannibal, we got you about Superman, but I think James Actually, Bond did it very well. To loop it back, to loop it back to the Superman conversation. <laughs> I, to loop it back to the Superman conversation, I would actually argue the same thing that I don't think I want to see a gay or bisexual James Bond. I would because it is a classic character, and there's nothing wrong with doing something new because, like. The success of the Kingsman series shows that you can renew the genre. You can write novel characters. You can do it again. And I mean, this is also part of the thing. I, I'm sure you've heard me complain about this before. I'm tired of remakes. I'm tired of reboots. There's nothing wrong with doing something new. You know, if you want your, you know, gender queer, biologically female, but identity is kind of inconsistent or new and complex, you know, spy who does ninja stuff, write a new one. You know, you don't have to make, you know, female 007, just write a new spy movie in the modern era with a modern character. There's nothing wrong with that. People love seeing new things. Uh, I mean, that was one of the things that made Inception. I mean, this is going to sound off the map, but Inception came out of nowhere because it was new. It wasn't a remake. It was novel. It wasn't based on a book. It was a, a completely original idea, and it was pretty successful in the theater. People want that. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And the idea of consistently going back to the same old well, like what Marvel character can we make bisexual now? No, make a new one. This is one of the reasons why I think Superman's son being bisexual, I think, is fine. It's yeah, fine. I think it's. I think the the attention is too blown up around it, but I think yeah. in the context of if I was writing a story about a 20-something-year-old man now, mm. the odds of him being fully straight is far less than it would have been 20 years ago. You know, Especially what I mean? if they're British, because we've read those studies. Exactly. And yeah. it's, I think that it, of, of the moment that is a scenario and a character that makes sense. Mm. And uh, yeah, I think it's also, it's not Clark Kent and Lois Lane. It's, you know, their child. It's, some, it's someone else. Yeah, exactly. And I think this yeah. is all being misinterpreted to a, to a great degree. Mm-hmm. All right. We're jumping to our first track. We have a couple of incredible young artists on here. This is late Ross uh, out of Toronto uh, with the track. I'd have to think about it. We will be back just after this. I'll meet someone and we'll make amends I'm sure she'll be a gentleman And I will be content I know that I will be fulfilled See the world and pay my bills Have a drink and eat my fill of dinners and free will But if you come to me 
Welcome back to Cancria, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Still Luke Smith. And I am Sebastian. And uh, after that little, uh, little jibber-jabber there about uh, queer representation in movies and TV, hopefully nobody had a spoiler, we are <laughs> jumping to some LGBT news, including right. a recent report released by Quadrangle Newfoundland, mm-hmm. an LGBT organization in Newfoundland, and they have been looking very specifically at uh, senior care, LGBTQI2S plus housing and senior care in uh, Newfoundland. They were mm-hmm. funded. They were. This was made possible through Grey Gays Newfoundland, which is an amazing name. I know <laughs> the city of Saint John's Newfoundland as well. I think what was interesting about this is what they accurately pointed out is Newfoundland is often included in big picture studies from across the country. Mm. If you're looking at census data, you're going to capture some people in Newfoundland. Oh, yeah. Because they're part of of the Canadian makeup. We are now. Yeah. (laughs) However, (laughs) if you're jumping to conclusions based on big national data, it's yeah. going to be so heavily skewed by Ontario, BC, and Quebec, which have the you know such large populations, um, that they they lose the specificity of what might work best in their province. Now you're it is, you're yeah. all about data and analysis. So what oh yeah you- yeah yeah. Well, it, it's first of all, this is something that kind of bothers me sometimes. Uh, Canada is huge and. It's been around long enough that we're starting to get regionalisms. I mean, there's definitely, you know, West Coast, Central, Quebec, East Coast, and the North. So you've got those sort of broad regions. But even then, go to town to town. I mean, I've gotten into arguments with people. It's really interesting how many people disagree with me on this and how many people are like, yeah, obviously. Um, Every city has its own feel to it. Every city has its own, like, local spirit. Some places are friendlier. Some places support local businesses more. Some places are are more parks oriented. Like here 
in Ottawa, people are incredibly outdoorsy. Uh, it is very difficult for me to date because I'm not interested in somebody who puts kayaking as a hobby on their profile. And everyone in Ottawa puts kayaking as a hobby on their profile. And I, I have never put kayaking <laughs> as a hobby. Yeah. But you know what I mean? I'm Outdoor not lying. sports is not a personality type. Yeah. It, it's well, it, not only that, but like, you don't go kayaking on Tuesday at 8 p.m. when you're bored. You know, that's not a hobby. It's some, it's a weekend activity. And I've seen the rivers. It is not lousy with gay men in boats. Uh, so I don't know what's going on there. But anyway, that, that's beside the point. Every region has its own local politics, its own local tone, its own local mini culture. And the more you travel, the more you see this to be true. So lumping all of like describing all of Canada based on like just looking at Toronto, for example, is just stupid. Even just going down the road to Hamilton or, you know, going even a little bit further maybe and getting to like Guelph. Um, you don't have to go far to see a difference. So saying we did a study of all of Canada and now we understand the Maritimes is this weird, weird, weird assumption. And I'm so glad that there are people out there you know, taking an alternative approach to this. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting reading their report. I want to do a shout out to the the authors of it, Dr. Mm. Suleiman Giwa, Dr. Alyssa Craig, uh, Amanda Page Warren, and Brittany Bynes um, for for putting this together. And uh, yeah, it's it's fantastic. And the city of city of St. John's uh, nonprofit housing catalyst fund. Um, yeah, I mean, I I think it's important to to acknowledge uh, their hard work on it. But mm-hmm. what I found really interesting is they have landed on some key points. Um, you know, desire for community, loneliness and isolation, bias-free housing and care, fear of discrimination, financial concerns and insecurity. Um, you know, when we're looking at people in their 50s and 60s or even a little bit older, they would have been at good pension earning age mm. at times when you could not be openly gay. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, it would have stunted your access to good paying jobs. It would have had you removed from working for the federal government. Mm-hmm. So I think we're still seeing the knock on effects, the much yeah. the knock on effects of that historical discrimination, which mm-hmm. makes being able to afford good senior care. Yeah. Um, that much more out of reach. You know, I think it's interesting that they brought up finances. And of course, all older people are going to struggle with making ends meet when you're not earning, you know, at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it's really interesting to see that sort of impact. What are your thoughts on some of the other ones, the community, loneliness, bias-free, discrimination? Some of that is kind of a growing universal concern in the community. Like you have, you know, young, sexy, outgoing people who are concerned about loneliness and isolation, lack of community. Some of that is just problems of the age, which I'm not trying to diminish this, you know, that it's going to be a different feel when you're a senior versus when you're young. Because when you're young, at least if you're in college, you can join a group. And then, you know, the other people in your Frisbee league are forced to hang out with you, even if only for (laughs) half an hour. Uh, it's a it's a very different beast as as you go through life, and so I mean, uh, like I don't want to diminish that, but I am saying that, that that's a that's a shared experience. Definitely the finances thing, 
the bias for free housing is definitely also a thing because I've seen a lot of people saying, you know, you know, human rights are fine now. Homophobia is over. You know, if you are LGBTQ, well, LGBTQ, but not trans, because that's that's still experiencing discrimination. Like if you're a gay or a lesbian, a garden variety gay or lesbian, you're not allowed to claim discrimination anymore because that's fine now. And it's like, but, you know, if you're in your 60s and you experienced really horrible things when you were younger, a lot of that takes a very long time. Like there are, an economy, there are economists who show that, you know, if you ever go bankrupt or if you ever even just you're unemployed for long enough to have to go on welfare, it takes years to recover from that financially and sometimes even in, in the case of like, you know, feeling like an important member of society, it takes a very long time. You, once you get put on your back heel, sometimes it takes years to, to recover from that. And some of these people have spent like, as, as you're saying, like the most productive years of their lives from like an economics point of view, constantly on their back heel. So we're getting echoes from the past now. And I think some of those echoes, like, even people around my age, I think around my age, I'm, I'm in my young 40s, um, is when it really started to taper off. So you're going to have some people around my age who are still experiencing that. And you have other people who were sort of like the new, more accepted society of Canada. And it, it's going to be decades to come that we're still dealing with that historical homophobia. Even if anything else, just because it does take a while to recover and some people never truly do, or they spend their whole lives playing catch-up, you know, just you paying know, down credit card debt for, for a decade, you know? The thing that jumps out to me is, you know, these, these examples of historical homophobia, mm. you know, the people who did the homophobic bullying and the, the, the abuse and the violence and so on and so forth, and mm. where, you know, the F slur was just a casual word, you know, they are now also in their 50s and 60s and 70s, you know, mm-hmm. and guess where they're going? Into retirement homes. You don't now, really go into retirement homes in your 50s, though. Well, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the people who are in these homes would have, you know, for most of their lives, mm. this kind of behavior would have been acceptable. Don't get me wrong. I do believe that seniors, are much like everyone else in the world, grow, adapt. Social norms change over time and people change with them. Yeah, and and I, I firmly believe that that uh, you know you don't stay stuck in your ways for decades on end. However, mm-hmm. we all know a couple of people who do stay stuck in their ways, mm-hmm. and I think it's important that in you know housing and you know in places that you call home, mm-hmm. um, being safe to do so, to be being safe to be gay or lesbian or have bright pink hair or whatever the case may be. Um, and being safe from other uh, other other uh, inhabitants of that uh, of that space. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think this report has a number of recommendations, including training for a lot of seniors' homes and uh, care homes to help navigate those very difficult moments. Like my grandfather has uh, Alzheimer's, and mm-hmm. he's in a home in in Wales. And at this point, it's really just not worth telling him that I am not only gay, but like scheduled to be married to a man mm-hmm. you know, in the immediate future. Um, not only am I that gay, I'm also, you know, a voice of homosexuality on the radio. And I am a, about as gay as they get. I think if they were gold stars, I would have one. I don't um, know. I bet gayer. You've, you have met gayer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But like, yeah, it's, 
it, I'm pretty gay. We're pretty gay. Yeah. So that being said, is it worth the battle? The the you know, if he took it badly, is that something that I want to do in his eighties? He's eighty six, I think. So he's certainly up there in age. But it's, yeah, I don't know. It gets to a point where it's just not worth a hassle. But for those living in his in his home, you know, I would very much expect if there was an eighty six year old gay man two doors down from him that he will be treated with just as much respect as every other every other tenant there. Ideally, yeah. And in the past, when we've heard from studies about senior care and LGBT folks, uh, a lot of the abuse does come from the staff. That we've, we've read reports on that before where, where people are, they feel like they're more likely to be, uh, maybe not abused, but like hearing harsh words from the staff than from other residents because other residents quite often they, they kind of just don't care anymore i mean that was sort of the the historical trend was not so much widespread open homophobia but more like widespread open ambivalence and when you did get really bad homophobes nobody really stood up for them so you're going to get a lot more of that um so the the training is definitely and, and more regulation and uh provincial supervision yeah. over these facilities as well for sure well, some of the sure. recommendations include creating LGBTQ2IS community-built infrastructure for cross-generational care and companionship. Um, essentially, trying to get people, you know, under the age of fifty to hang out with people over the age of fifty and create those intergenerational moments. There was you keep uh, saying fifty. You know that seniors are like sixty-five well, by, you know, by legal I mean, standards. I meant younger, as in like. <laughs> you know, your age and below. Um, but, you know, it reminds me of an interesting TikTok that went viral of a woman who was able to find a home, uh, an apartment, I think it was somewhere in Toronto, and she got very excited that uh, she found an apartment for under $50 bajillion because it mm -hmm. was Toronto. Mm -hmm. um, and she gets in the elevator and, and she eventually notices that everyone there is is like 65 plus mm -hmm. because it was a... It was a retirement home. She'd, she'd accidentally moved into a retirement home. Okay. Um, but the other people in the building were thrilled because she had guests coming to visit. She was always bustling and doing stuff. And just, you know, that intergenerational content uh, contact meant, meant a lot to them. Mm. Um, one of the interesting things recommended by this report was increased employment opportunities for uh, LGBTQ community members in long-term care facilities. And hmm. I don't, I don't think we should be shoehorning gay people into every job that exists. But I think if you have a care home that is in, you know, staffed by 30, 40 people, mm -hmm. and none of them have, you know, the lived experience of being gay and potentially having been in the closet, your ability to empathize from a point of shared experience is, is lost. I think having at least one person would, would be, would be beneficial. Mm. So I don't know. I think I'm a, I'm a bit on the fence about, you know, recruiting specifically for, but I don't know where you're landing. On that one. I, I mean, whenever you get um, hiring quotas, uh, it is very easy for that to turn uh, in a bad direction. Uh, hiring quotas, I think it's one of those things where I understand the spirit of it, but I, I worry about the, uh, not the application, the execution that uh, I, I've seen it go sideways. I, I've seen people, for example, they, 
in institutions that do have hiring quotas and and you know they're they're trying to improve the diversity somebody who has been working there for decades and is a hard worker and 100% deserves their promotion gets their promotion and they instantly start questioning whether it was just because they were a black woman or because they actually did the work and everybody around them knows that they did the work but i mean it it can it can sour the flavor of certain things, even if it is 100% deserved because it is there. It, it's mm. a complicated issue. And I do completely agree with the notion that we do need more diversity, but I think there's like everything else. I, I, I say this, there's so many things. There's a right way and a wrong way to do things, you know? Yeah. There's more salt in your, uh, that you're holding on to there than I think the Caspian Sea. Um, <laughs> the last one that I want to mention is ensure same-sex partners have access to shared room in assisted living facilities. I mean, mm. I think that's a no-brainer. Yeah. More fortunate enough to be 65 plus and still have your life companion with you. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm in my 60s and Jake is still alive, I mean, he's like a spring chicken. He'll be he'll be alive 100 years past my death, I think. He's, you know, he's not going to... I don't know. He hasn't aged in the whole time I've known him. So, you know what I mean? I, I've seen his preferred diet. Yes. No, actually, yeah, yeah. You're probably... <laughs> I don't know, with... You may outlive him. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. But I think that's an easy no-brainer. You know, it's about having access to and companionship as a way of tackling some of that uh, isolation um, issue. All mm-hmm. right, we are jumping to our next song. This is Let Me Out of Here by Sierra Noble. Um, and I believe out of Winnipeg is where Sierra's from. We will be back just after this.
Hello and welcome back to Cancro, your home of candidates, Queen and Major. My name is Canadian Blood Services have taken a step towards um, reality and they have decided to pilot a program in Calgary, Alberta and London, Ontario, mm-hmm. where and this is going to be a bit of a shock to some people. They are going to allow uh, men that have sex with men, gay, bisexual and men that have sex with men, to mm-hmm. donate plasma if, uh, and, and now normally, you know, gay and bisexual men and men that have sex with men can mm-hmm. donate plasma and they can donate blood if they cross their legs for three months. Mm-hmm. Now, they are assuming, Canadian Blood Services assumes that uh, anyone, any gay man or man that's had sex with men in the last three months automatically has HIV and therefore... Mm-hmm. is ineligible to donate blood. It or is, syphilis. Uh, They're or, open-minded. Yeah, yeah. They just assume that you're, you've got something. You must yeah. have something as a gay man. Um, Let they, them in Calgary. That's a weird... It's a weird, weird sample choice. locations. But yeah. uh, now they have, I think, acknowledged that their policy can be seen as discriminatory. Uh-huh. Uh, let, me, let me get the, the exact wording here. And oh, this my. Is their website. Uh, not in Calgary or London, question mark. We understand that being turned away from donating can leave any donor with a sense of frustration and disappointment. They forgot rage uh-huh. somewhere. Um, and it continues. We recognize that eligibility criteria for men who have sex with men is a particularly sensitive issue affecting many who have experienced long-standing marginalization and stigma. They also forget to mention that long-standing marginalization and stigma by the Canadian Blood Services. Mm -hmm. Um, It continues, we also recognize that the slow pace of change to donor criteria that still exclude many gay, bisexual men, men, has been painful and frustrating for many, and we're working working to create a more inclusive system. Now, they have got that right. It is unbelievably frustrating. And slow moving. And slow moving. And just uh, as a recap, the Liberal government in 2016 uh, announced, or the, the Liberal campaign in 2016, announced that this policy was discriminatory. At the time, I think it was five years. It went from five to six to three, um, five years, six months, three months. Um, and then the Liberals in every campaign up until the most recent one, again, said it was discriminatory and that they would end it, but have failed to do so. The Liberals have said it is the Canadian Blood Services who has the policy. Canadian Blood Services say it's not us, it's Health Canada. Um, oh. And at least one man has sued both of them to find out who's responsible. <laughs> so, you know, I'm all for that lawsuit. They're all just, it wasn't me, it was him. It wasn't me, it was him. It's like ridiculous. Anyway. I, I, I normally dislike strict top-down governance. I like... I like balance of powers, you know, the courts and the government and the upper house, and the lower house, and the GG, and they all keep an eye on each other, blah, blah, blah. But this is the downfall of that because you can have these circles where everyone's pointing to each other. You don't have that one spot where you like, you know, the buck stops here, yeah. which is like the Spider-Man meme. It's exactly. It's, literally, it's the Spider-Man meme. <laughs> you would think it would be the minister of health that ultimately the minister of health would be the person who's like, well, I guess it's down to me. That, that's what the minister positions are for. 
but I guess not. I, he is also Spider-Man, or she. I don't know who the Minister of Health is right now, actually. Uh, it was Paddy Haidu. At time of recording, I don't think that they haven't released the, the new cabinet. Yeah. I don't I, think they would have it out just yet, but it, it, it's at time of recording, it was Paddy Haidu, the MP for Thunder Bay. Okay. So the, the MP for Thunder Bay was also Spider-Man. Yeah, they were all Spider-Man pumping <laughs> They were all Spider-Man, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So about this pilot, and you're probably thinking, how are they going to do this? Well, they mm. decided to do, and this is kind of groundbreaking, that they are asking men, gay men, bisexual men, and men that have sex with men, mm-hmm. um, questions based on their risk, what they've actually done, yeah. as opposed to just their identity, which is quite, uh, quite a big step forward. Canadian blood services. Um, they've essentially said that in the last three months, if you've not had a new sexual partner, and if your partner has not had a new sexual partner, um, then you know you can donate plasma. Now, this is big news. A lot of straight people listening might be thinking, well, that seems like what the normal questions are anyway. You know, mm. have you been near the swine flu or you know all these other risk things you know have you done this that, and the other that would put you at risk also intravenous drug use is actually the the bigger contributor to new hiv cases over the past 10 years well yeah i mean it depends on where you are i think in the press it's intravenous drug use and i think in you know it's it's the HIV rates are, are different, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Men are, For sure. men are, are, are consistently reporting higher than the average. However, that is mm. not the only source of HIV in this country. True, yeah. Also, PrEP exists, and people are, I mean, people are either very careful or they're complete idiots. I've not seen a lot of gray area. Uh, maybe yeah. some people who are trying to be careful, but they're sloppy. Well, there, was a, there was a study in the UK that uh, estimates that... Um, they believe they'll have HIV sorted out by 20, uh, 2030. It's a bit optimistic, but I... It is I, a bit optimistic, yeah, yeah. but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think this is, you know, if you're in Calgary or London, Ontario, and you are a man that is a sexual man, a gay man or a bisexual man, um, and you have plasma available to give, it does save lives, even though I am unbelievably frustrated with the ridiculousness that is Canadian Blood Services' leadership on this. One last it question, actually. Lives. You say it's a pilot. What are the normally when you have a pilot, you have like a, a success condition and a failure condition. How do they know like whether or not the pilot is successful or not? Like what what are they? Is it they're curious if the gays will show up or are they curious if if they refine our plasma it'll turn into john carpenter's the thing like what are they what 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 are they afraid of like what is a good outcome what is a bad outcome how do they know if the pilot has succeeded or not like i don't understand it just occurred to me like it's a pilot but what are they piloting really just can we do this thing that we do anyway with everyone else it's weird. Do you see what I mean? It's weird. You have a confused look on your face. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking <laughs> at it. Um, you know, they're saying that... Um, yeah, you need negative tests for infectious diseases, but I think that's pretty standard across... You do that anyway. Everyone, yeah, exactly. Um, 
yeah, it's I don't a know what they're, they're saying it's a requirement from Health Canada, and it's a part of their upcoming submission to Health Canada on the removal of the eligibility require, uh, criteria. So, yeah, uh-huh. I mean, maybe this is just a test to see how it unfolds, but this is Canadian blood services. But still, you know, a, a being pilot... a Spider-Man pointing at Health Canada, saying it's all <laughs> their fault. But a pilot still has a research question. Like, I don't know. The whole thing is weird. It's weird. It's, it's, I think it's, it's just, it's ridiculous bureaucracy. Yeah. They are dragging their feet on removing this requirement. When you, you know, the Liberals got elected in 2016. That mm. is, what are we now, five years ago? Five mm. years ago, the Liberal government said to Canadian Blood Services, get your bleep together, yep. end this ban. Yep. And now, five years later, Mm. They're like, oh, maybe we should test it in Calgary and see if it uh, see if it works. You know, it is absolutely it, it beggars belief. It really it, does beggar belief. It makes me think of Brazil, the movie, not the country. Oh, I can't even. I One am, of my favorite things about that movie is uh, every government employee had a computer, but the the screen on the computer was like two inches tall, uh, two inches by two inches, because it was cheaper to get a giant magnifying glass in front of the monitor than it was to actually get a large monitor. And that, that, that was a visual piece of brilliance. That is exactly what the government is like with just like, well, we'll cut corners and you will deal with it. It's just the whole thing's ridiculous. Also, you yeah. should watch Brazil. It's a great movie. Okay. Well, <laughs> on my, uh, on my list of things that I'm going to be watching is Royal Cobras. What? Uh, What's I, this? I mean, I'm not actually going to watch Royal Cobras because I don't think I can get a hold of it. Royal uh-huh. Cobras is a TV show in Russia okay. being hosted by Nastya Ivliva. Okay. Um, it, has, uh, it has a lot of the key components of RuPaul's Drag Race uh, with lip syncing, battles, uh, costumes, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. Um, now, according to Royal Cobras and their disclaimer, at the start of their program, mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. They are very, very concerned that Russians may be confused that this is referring that their, their drag show refers to non-traditional sexual relationships, which would be in contravention of the anti-gay propaganda law in Russia. Yeah, um, which can you know land them in up to fifteen years in prison. <sighs> Now, to our ears, this sounds weird, but I do know that Russia does have, similar to England, a centuries-long relationship with drag. And uh, actually, it, do you what just occurred to me right now? Uh, Russia's most famous heterosexual male drag queen went to Eurovision. Remember in 2011, the guy in the silver outfit with the star on his head? You don't remember this? Oh my God, we 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 got to watch Eurovision after this. Uh, twice they have sent their most famous drag queen to uh, to Eurovision, and he he made memes because uh, they do. Dra- I mean, much like you know the again the the flip flop dress from Priscilla, um, they do weird outfits sometimes, but they also do a lot of like babushka acts, kind of like uh, in England where you the pantos. You know, you always get like the ugly stepsister in the weird outfit and the grandma who's actually just a man with a wig. Um, they have that tradition as well in Russia. And uh, it's not, I, I don't know how gay it is. I don't know that much. I do know that well, they do have this Well, according to uh, the Moscow Times, um, LGBT activists in Russia are like, 
the fact that there is not only zero mention of anything gay in any of yeah. the episodes, that is but weird. the fact that there is a disclaimer being like, FYI, this is not remotely gay. Yeah. Um, it is weird in its insistence that it's not gay. Yes. Know? Yes. <laughs> even in Russia, yeah, there is a long history of heterosexual men performing in uh in in drag. Um it wasn't exclusively heterosexual men historically yes. in Russia performing in drag. Oh, yeah, for so sure. There yeah. is a Russian history linking queerness and LGBT to drag performance. Yes. And, and this show is, is sort of really silencing it. But I think the other challenge this program has is the no say gay law in Russia. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if it was even alluded to that you know, this was linked to queer culture mm -hmm. and they could be in jail for having done so. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what this, what the impact of this program has on Russian culture. Yeah, especially since like the, the drag culture in Russia has a link to uh, folk music. Weirdly enough, it's actually like a folk performance. Um, so if if they go full drag race and don't incorporate traditional Russian culture into it, then it's definitely going to be like nudge, nudge, wink, wink. This is basically just RuPaul and not we are celebrating and acknowledging some relevant part of Russian culture. Uh, I, I think it's uh, again, it's I what there is a way to pull this off where it being not gay could make sense, but I would not put money on that happening. I would not put no. money on that happening at all. Well, if any of my listeners can know where we can get a subtitled version of the <laughs> Russian drag show uh, knockoff, um, we would uh, happily give it, um, you know, a view or two and see how that unfolds. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, what a what a wild ride. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention, it's just a bit of a, an interesting piece of information. Everyone has... Everyone has heard two songs recently, um, Elton John and Dua Lipa's Cold Heart, uh, which I think is a bit of a remix of one of his older songs. It's a great track. I think it hit number one in the UK just before Adele released her, <laughs> her new song. Um, and uh, Elton John is the only person in British history to have a top 10 hit in six decades, in, in each of six decades. Uh, so fantastic achievement by Elton John. Um, not even Cher has managed that. And I think but, that is worth noting. Yeah, the the only other people I could think of who could pull that off would be Cher. Cher or Madonna. Dolly Parton, maybe Willie Nelson. I mean, uh, in the UK, not so much. But yeah, in the UK, that would... Uh, the Who? Maybe. They haven't really had... They haven't had a big hit in... In like, a while. An individual hit in the 90s, an individual hit in the 2010s. The yeah, 20, the yeah, maybe not. Yeah. Oh, actually, no. The the Stones, the Rolling Stones, uh, their their last album came out in the two thousands. But still, that would be a while. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually, I just looked it up. It's Verka Sevduchka, which is actually Ukrainian. Is the the drag queen I was talking about? Ah, uh, it is a part of Russian culture, but this individual is from the Ukraine, so or Ukraine, I should say. So the, but the last thing I wanted to mention then is um, about the new Adele song, uh, Go Easy on Me or Easier on Me. Um, and that was the music video was put together by Xavier Dolan. 
Do you familiar? You recognize that name? <gasps> yes, I do. Who made a uh, tué ma mère? Uh, yeah. he, he was a filmmaker who started making movies when he was, I think, 18 is when he directed his first film, uh, which was very competent for a teenager. And uh, under adult standards, I would call it like better than M. Night Shyamalan for sure. Like very competent director for sure. Yeah, that, yeah that's like, interesting. Yeah. I believe he's, uh, he's openly gay. He's a uh, Quebecois he's, yep. uh, and um, an incredible uh, film producer. He also produced Adele's Hello video. So oh. this is his second collaboration with Adele. But yeah, nice, interesting Canadian queer connection for uh, for folks there that you may not have expected. We're not going to play Adele's Easier on Me right now because I am confident it has been played to death by everyone listening. Uh, we are playing out with something completely different. And this is 100 Sisters by... Uh, Muriel Buckley and her band and uh, I've been Luke Smith and I have been Sebastian and thank you for listening Fast cars No plans Disappearing up your street Slow hands Chance with a girl Who was too good for me